turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73. We are going through another one of the the ways that we worship, and today we're going to talk about confession. Now, confession, like giving, isn't something we actually have a slot for in the service, although many churches do. Many churches pass the plate. They have a slot for forgiving. Many churches have a time of confession, something where someone will read a confession or you'll have a moment of silence and you, you can confess silently. Um, we don't have a slot for confession, but I hope you'll see as we go through here that we do it all the time. It, it, it's woven into so much of what we do. Because in English today, I, I can't think of anywhere we use confession except church to confess your sins and then what? police, right? You confess to a crime or something like that. But in the Bible, it's a much broader word. Uh, It's not a religious word. It's not a judicial word or anything like that. Um, It it just means to acknowledge that something is true. It literally means to say the same thing. In the, the language of the New Testament, it's the word to say and the word same put together. You're saying the same thing. When you confess You're acknowledging that what someone said is true, what something has happened. And so the Bible uses confession, both negative and positive. We confess Christ, meaning we we agree with God. We agree with the scriptures. The Bible says Jesus is the son of God. He died for us for our sins. He rose again. We confess that. We agree with it. We say, yes, this is true. And of course, the scriptures also command us to confess our sins. And that doesn't just mean admit them. It means agree with God about them. So we're going to read a prayer of confession. And it's not one you normally think of because it's not one of those ones where the guy says, oh God, I've done this bad thing. Please forgive me. Because haven't you ever wondered? Like I stand up here every week and I hope one of the things you hear every single week is if you are a follower of Christ, all your sins are forgiven. Past present, future. All of them. They're gone. They all went on the cross 2,000 years ago before you were ever born. If you confessed Christ, you never need to confess another sin ever. You are going into God's kingdom. You are saved. You are born again. You are washed. You are adopted. There's, you, if you never confess another sin, that will not change. So why does the Bible tell us all the time to confess our sins? Why is it constantly telling us we need to confess? I want to read this psalm with you because I think it does a really good job of explaining why we should confess. What happens when we confess? Why does God care? If he's already dealt with all of it, and I mean, come on, he already knows all of it, right? We're not confessing it to admit it to him because he's like, oh, you know, God, I did that. And he's like, oh, wow, okay, all right, I'll add that to Jesus. He already knows. It's already done. Why is confession such a big deal? Confession has been a spiritual discipline since the very beginning of the church. It has been a a significant part of church, of Christians gathering and in their own spiritual lives. So read along with me, Psalm 73. This is a Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. 
They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Even when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So notice how Asaph begins. The first three verses Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He tells us right up front what he's confessing. What's his his sin? I mean, yep, God is good, but I lost sight of that. What happened? Envy, jealousy. He became jealous. He became envious of what he saw. And wow, From verses four to verses 12, he tells us in great detail what he saw, right? He doesn't just say, oh, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Please forgive me, amen. It doesn't end after verse three. He goes on in great detail and says, this is what I saw. This is what happens. This is what happens. This is what happens. This is what these people are like. He goes on and on and on, telling us why he envied them. He's confessing, he's acknowledging the sin of envy. And here's why, and everything he says is true. Everything he says in here is true. People are like this. It was true 3,000 years ago when Asaph wrote this, and it's still true today. Wicked, powerful, arrogant people prosper. They do well and people flock to them. They are acclaimed and surrounded. If you think, think in history, who in history is considered a great man or woman because of their humility, compassion, and self-sacrifice? Jesus, Gandhi, Mother Teresa. I'm running out of options here. That's about as far as I can get. Maybe Teresa of Avila. I'm not not sure about her. Um, Like, that's it. How many people throughout history are known for violence, arrogance, conquest, pride? 
pretty much the other 10,000 people you can think of. Everything he says is absolutely true. And so he comes to his conclusion in verses 13 and 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishment. He lists, he's like, I envied these people. Here's why I envied these people. All these things that are going on. And he ends up with, why am I bothering? Why? I have been good. I have done what is right and I am being punished. Or as my father likes to joke, no good deed goes unpunished. It's like, I, I, all day long I'm afflicted. I have done what is right and I am sick. They do what is evil and they are healthy. He, he will say in verse 21, my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. And he is. He, he is grieved. He is embittered. He is despairing. It's like, why? Why? Why should I care about being good? Why should I follow you, God? What, what's going on? He is brutally honest. And this is the first part of confession. The first thing, he is brutally honest. Notice there's 28 verses in this psalm. We're at verse 14, right? The first half of the psalm is him being brutally honest with what he felt, what he saw, what it did inside him. He doesn't just like, oh yeah, I was envious, let's move on. He talks about it and talks about it and explains it and explains it. Because I don't know about you, you know, I don't have spy cameras. You might, you might not realize this. I don't have spy cameras in your houses, so I don't know what you're doing, and I can't read your thoughts. But I imagine, like me, you want to minimize when you do something wrong. You want to ignore it. You want to pretend like it didn't happen. You want to compare it to somebody else and be like, well, okay, sure, I did that, but I'm not as bad as him. So really, I don't have a problem. We, we don't want to acknowledge these things about ourselves. I don't. I don't think you do. Asaf, he spends the first 12 verses acknowledging these things. Here, here, here's my sin. I was envious. I lost sight of God being good. Here's everything I saw, and, and here's what happened to me. It made me mad. It made me bitter. He goes through in great detail. He is brutally honest about what he thought, what he did, what happened in him. That's the first part of confession. And notice what he says in verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He's also brutally honest that it's wrong, that it's betrayal. I mean, everything he said is true. The wicked are like this. But what happened inside him is completely wrong. It's completely turned around and twisted. He said it was a betrayal to, to think like that, to say those things. He is brutally honest about what's going on inside him, what happened to him. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend like it's not a big deal. He tells us in detail, here's what I saw. Here's what I was thinking. Here's what happened to me. It was wrong. That's the first part of confession. Honesty. We're just honest. We're just honest with God. Again, I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers by letting you know that he already knows. He knows better than we do because he has perfect knowledge and perfect memory. We've forgotten all sorts of things that he knows. We're not admitting something to him that is a surprise or new. We are being 
honest. We are agreeing with him. God says, don't be envious. Don't be jealous. Be content. And we confess that. We say the same thing. We say, yes, that's what scripture says. Scripture says, be content. Scripture says, don't be embittered. We confess that. God says this is wrong. We confess it. We agree with it. We acknowledge it. Yes, this is wrong. That's the first half of confession. But it's not the end. You can't end there. You can't just go through, oh, yep, yeah, I did all these things wrong. God, I'm really sorry. Forgive me. Let's move on. Because we're only halfway through with the psalm. Now, God is really gracious to Asaph because he gets some answers Like as we go down in 15 through 20, he, okay, here's a plug for coming to church. He gets answers when he goes to church. He says, I I didn't understand this. It troubled me. It upset me. I wasn't sure. Verse 17, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Until he came to worship with his brothers and sisters. When he came to worship, when he came into God's presence in God's temple, then God began to show him some things. That's really kind of God. Like he gets some answers about what's going on. He has forgotten God's justice. He has forgotten that one day God will set all things right. He promises that. He has forgotten that one day God will reward what is good and punish what is bad. He says, I, I, I forgot that. Coming to church, that's reminded me of these truths. Sometimes God gives you that and sometimes he doesn't. I mean, sometimes things happen and you confess them to God and and God reveals things to you. He, he explains, he helps you. Boy, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he just says, trust me. You know, God's really very gracious to Asaf here to give him some insight into what's going wrong with him. But look at verses 21 and 22. We're kind of picking it back up again. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. This is where Asaph ends up, his envy and his bitterness. He ends up like a cow, moo. That's all he's got in God's presence. It's just, he's got no thought. He's got no words. He's got no sense. I'm willing to bet some of you have been there. I've been there. I'm willing to bet you know people who've been there. People who are so embittered, so angry and upset about something, some envy, some past slight, some hurt, whatever it was, they are so embittered about it that, yeah, they're senseless. They just don't even make any sense anymore about this issue. They might as well be a dumb animal. They just got nothing. This is where Asaf ends up. Verses 21 and 22. And notice verses 23 and 24. Yet, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Both of those things are true at the same time. Asaph is embittered. He's like so embittered and so angry that it doesn't make sense anymore. And God is still God. God is still with him. God still holds him. God still counsels him and guides him. And God will still take him into glory. Notice, there's nothing between those two, ver- those two sentences. 
I was a brute beast before you. Oh, but then I said I was sorry, and so you went, you'd gone away, but you came back. Oh, I apologized, and I wasn't going to get into heaven, but now I am. There's none of that. And you'll never find that in scripture, because it's not true. He, he isn't apologizing. And then these things happen. Verse 21 and 22 are just as true as verses 23 and 24. Asaph is like this. And God is gracious. And God is still his God. And God still loves him. And he's still saved. Even in the midst of all of this. Both of those things are true. Asaph doesn't need to be honest about all that he's done and all that happens in order for God to forgive him. Just like we don't. You are forgiven if you are a Christian. If you have confessed Christ, you're forgiven. End of discussion. We don't have to confess to get God to love us. We have to confess to change how we think. Because when we're in the midst of sin, then we distance ourselves from God. He forgot things like God's justice, even though it was still true. He forgot that God still loved him and would take care of him. All these truths about himself, he forgot all these truths about God. When we confess, when we agree, when we acknowledge, we got, yep, we got to acknowledge all the truth about ourselves. I did that, I thought that, I acted that way, this is true, yep, I mean, again, he goes into detail. He doesn't just toss it out there. We've got to do that. But wow, we've got to do the second part too, which is we've got to confess these truths about God. That God is still God. That God is always with us. That he holds us by our hand. That he guides us and counsels us and that he will one day take us into his kingdom. That is a done deal. Nothing will ever change that. Even being grieved, embittered, senseless, ignorant, and a stupid, dumb animal. God is still our God. We need to confess the truth about ourselves, and oh, we cannot forget to confess the truth about God. We don't need to confess these things to be forgiven. You're already forgiven. We need to confess these things to be healed. We need to confess these things to change how we think. Look what he says right after this in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Wow, at the beginning of this psalm, earth had a ton of stuff he desired beside God. It had prosperity and it had no burdens and it had health and it had wealth and it had good fortune. It had people following you and status and success. He had all these things he envied. He wanted them. But when he's acknowledged all these truths about himself and he's acknowledged all these truths about God, I was a senseless brute beast before you and yet you are still with me. You never left me. You never let go of me. You never stopped talking to me. And you will absolutely take me into your kingdom one day. Even if you gotta tie a rope around me and take me in like I was a cow. Because God has said it and it's gonna happen. He never lies. He doesn't change his mind. Asaph doesn't need to confess to be forgiven. He knows that's gonna happen. He's gotta confess to be changed. Because nothing that he said about the wicked is different at the end of the psalm. 
everything he says about them is still true. They are still doing all these things. They are still healthy, wealthy, and wise. They are still having a great life. They have everything they could want. People flock to them. They have status and success. Nothing in the the, the reality of the wicked has changed. What's changed is in him. He's confessed these truths about himself. He's confessed these truths about God. And then he realizes, oh, why am I caring about these things? Like, like, seriously, what? What is better than having God in heaven? What, what matches that? Look at the next thing, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. At the beginning of the psalm, he is complaining that the wicked are always healthy. The wicked are They never have problems. They never get sick. And if they do, they're fabulously rich. They get the best medical care there's possible on the world. He says, I, I am afflicted every day. Now notice what he's saying here. My flesh and my heart may fail. God may not heal me. God may not change my circumstances. All those great things the wicked have, God's not promising those to me. My flesh And my heart, yeah, yeah, I am afflicted. Yeah, these things happen to me. It may not change. It may all fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That that means his inheritance, what he's going to gain. The wicked, they have health, they have wealth, they have status, they have all these great things. And what they're going to get in the end is destruction, They will be swept away. You will treat them, he says. You will despise them as if they're fantasy. They're never even really there. God will destroy all of that. But Asaph, healthy or sick, rich or poor, loved or hated, well-known or obscure, God, he has God. God is his portion Nothing has changed in the reality of his situation from the beginning to the end. But what's changed is in him. What's changed is what he's looking at, his attitude. He has gone from being angry about all these things happening with men to verse 28. As for me, it is good to be near God. That's where he ends up. He was envious, he was jealous, he was mad, he was bitter. And he acknowledged all that was true and he acknowledged that God was still God and God was still there with him and God was still doing things even though he didn't deserve any of it. Even though he was going the other direction. Yet, I am always with you. You never left me. Never let go of me. You've never stopped counseling me. I was a brute beast in your presence and you didn't kick me out. You didn't walk away. You stood there with me. As for me, it is good to be near God. At the beginning, he's jealous of everything that the wicked have. And at the end, he's really grateful that he has God. Again, the wicked still have those things. He's just forgotten he has God. At the beginning of all this, he's saying how embittered he is about all the things that people have and they get away with and what they do. And at the end, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Because those things are all still true. They haven't changed, but he's changed. 
He's taking refuge in God. Yes, the world is like that. Yes, these things happen. But I have God. What's changed is Asaf. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna practice this. Because you will hear me when I pray talk like this. And you'll hear me when I talk to you after sermons talk to you this way. To to tell you to acknowledge things before God. To tell you to admit things. He knows already. How many times have you heard me say that? Right? If you struggle with this, tell him. He already knows. See if he has anything to say back to you. That's confession. We agree with God. Yes, this is true. Yes, I did this. Yes, I thought this. Yes, this happened. Yes. Yes, you say this is wrong. We're going to practice that. We're going to take this last part before we go into communion. And I'm going to walk you through this. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to bring to your mind a situation, an issue, something that you need to confess. Like you're not agreeing with him about it. He's saying one thing and you're saying something else. You need to say what he says. I'm going to ask him to to bring that to mind for his spirit to speak to you about that. And then I'm going to walk you through and I'm going to give you time to do it. So, okay, that means, you know, there's going to be silence. I know nobody likes silence in church. Very uncomfortable, right? Feel free to hum to yourself if you want. But there's just going to be this, you know, minute or so of silence as you walk through these things. Just like he did. Again, he doesn't say, oh, I envied the arrogant. Let's move on. Here's what I felt. Here's what was going on inside me. I saw this and this and this and this and this and it made me angry. It made me bitter. It made me doubt God. It made me not want to bother being obedient and good. Why should I bother when all of these people get away with everything? I'm gonna ask God to reveal something to you and I'm gonna walk you through this and give you time to be honest with God, brutally honest. You don't have to do it out loud. There's not gonna be a quiz at the end. Nobody's gonna know. Be brutally honest about yourself with God. Yes, this is what happened. This is what I did. This is what I'm still doing. This is how I still feel. Be brutally honest. And you say not to do that. Yes, I'm furious at this person and I shouldn't be. It's wrong. You say the anger of man does not accomplish your righteousness, whatever it is. And then I'm going to walk you through the second part as well. Reminding ourselves of all these truths that God is still our God. That even if you never change, if you never get any better, if you never, never work through this and never confess this again in your life, God is still your God. Verses 23 and 24, they're all God. They're not us. It's not I hang on to you. It's you hang on to me. It's not I listen to you and do what you say. It's you speak to me. It's not I go with you into glory. It's you take me. It's all God. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are a good and a gracious God. Thank you that you forgave us everything at the cross. That, you got a lot of guts, Lord, because we could take that and run with it. We know that we are forgiven. We know we can go do whatever we want. We are forgiven. And yet you have trusted. You have done that anyway. You have made all the first moves. Thank you. That is really gracious of you. 
Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everybody who's listening to me right now. The Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us about some place in our lives that we need to confess. We need to agree with you. That you say something about this and we say something different. Or you want to talk about this and we don't want to. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, you would put that on each of our minds. Now take a minute and be honest. Be honest like Asaf is honest. Give God details. He already knows them. You're not telling him anything new. This is, this is for us. This is to heal us. This is to change us. Take the next minute and be brutally honest about yourself with God and be brutally honest about whatever it is that he doesn't like that or he doesn't want that or whatever he has said to you, be honest about it. Now hear these truths. Be honest. I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do because it was weakened by our sinful nature, God did by sending his own son sending him in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in us in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Us who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. So how do we respond to all this? If God is for us, does it matter who's against us? God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Don't you think he also will graciously give us and him everything? Who can bring any charge against those if God has chosen them and God has justified them? Who can possibly condemn them? No one. Jesus Christ 
Jesus who died and more than that, who has come back to life. He is seated at the right hand of God and he is praying for us. So who can ever separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, violence. It is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, even in all of that, we are more than conquerors because he loves us. I am convinced, brothers and sisters, that nothing, not death and not life, not angels and not demons, not the present, not the future, not any power, no height, no depth, nothing anywhere in the universe could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Be honest about both those things. All those things that are wrong about us, they're all true. And Jesus has dealt with all of it. Completely, totally, will never be undone. Be brutally honest about your sin and be brutally honest about God's justification, his mercy, his kindness, that nothing will ever separate you from that. Not your own sin, not whether you confess or not. That just as Asaf knew, it is good to be with God. Thank you, Lord. That's only true because you did it. I mean, none of that happens unless you come for us when we ran away from you. None of that happens unless you buy us back with your very life after we sold ourselves in slavery to sin and to death. None of this is true unless you willingly go to the cross. You let them kill you. You, the creator of life, you die. He was crucified, buried, crucified, died buried, descended into hell. None of this happens. None of this is true, Lord Jesus, except that you did those things. They are true, and we want to be brutally honest about them. They are true, no matter how we feel, no matter what we do, they are true. Jesus, I pray for us, I pray for my brothers and sisters, that we would have complete freedom to be brutally honest about our sin, because you have dealt with it. We can confess. We can agree with you. We are dreadfully sinful. We were dreadfully sinful yesterday. We will be dreadfully sinful today. And you have dealt with all of us. You have dealt with all of our sin. You have dealt with all of our issues. And one day, you will take us into your kingdom. Thank you. Thank you. We are so, so grateful. And so, Jesus, we pray all this in your name. We love you and we're yours. Amen.